0: Fun. How are you? Um, I would like to welcome you to what will now be the first annual Women in Business event sponsored by the Chicago chapter of Coronet. And we will definitely be doing this again next March um, with Renee, who is my major sidekick in this event. And sorry, I'm just keeping my eyes on the edge of the don't want to, like, do a backflip off here. You. Catch you. We catch each other. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Renee and I and the rest of um, the Cornet Programs team put together this panel of exceptional people who just happen to be women who will be talking about their biggest M moments. What was their movable challenge, their mentor, money, monster deal? And I would love for Renee, who is currently a vice president of JLL, to introduce each of our panelists for your entertainment, your education, and your enjoyment.
1: All right, well, as uh, Diana alluded to, it's Women's History Month, and um, so we know, because this got sold out a couple of weeks ago, that uh, this discussion is something that is very interesting to most of you, uh, relevant to your teams and your companies, and we hope that today's conversation inspires um, more uh, discussion about inclusion, equality, and getting more diverse perspectives at the table. Um, So with that, let's get to know our panelists. Stacy Behrens, Stacy Behrens is a senior vice president at Morgan Stanley and has worked in finance and accounting since graduating from the University of Iowa in 2001. Stacy is a CPA and CFP and leads an all-female financial planning practice at the firm at Morgan Stanley. Very good. Stacy was recently recognized by Forbes magazine as a top wealth advisor in Illinois. Stacy and her husband live in the West Loop of Chicago with their three children. Maria Contiel at the end. Maria is Vice President, Corporate Real Estate for BMO Financial Group. She is the Senior Portfolio Manager, accountable for overall portfolio management of approximately 2.7 million square feet of office space throughout the greater Chicago and Milwaukee markets. This includes strategic planning, relationship management, transactions, and occupancy planning. She joined BMO in 2016, diving headfirst into strategic planning and site selection for BMO's new downtown Milwaukee office, Sale sale leaseback, currently under construction, and a move-in uh, with 123,000 square feet scheduled for December 2019. So we know it's a busy year for you. Maria sits on the U.S. Executive Business Council meetings alongside BMO's Workplace Experience Chicago lead, reporting to the U.S. C-suite on current activities for restacking and downsizing the U.S. headquarters located 11 West Monroe, 111 West Monroe and planning activities recently announced for the new headquarters at a 50-story tower to be constructed near Union Station. I'm sure you all read about this in the news. BMO has leased 495,000 square feet and intends to consolidate its loop offices in phases between 2022 and 2024. She leads other various consolidation efforts within the suburban portfolio and maximizes the entire office portfolio. Vicki Noonan. Vicky leads Cushman and Wakefield in Metro Chicago as managing principal. Vicki provides strategic leadership to a team of more than 350 professionals. No easy feat, considering we know what that kind of workforce is like <laughs> uh, on the real estate side of the business. Uh, Vicky focuses on uh, guiding the firm to create holistic solutions for their investor and occupier clients across the region. Additionally, she shapes the firm's growth strategies and recruiting efforts. A Chicago native, uh, Vicki joined Cushman & Wakefield from Tishman Spire, where she enjoyed a three-decade career and led the firm's Chicago and Milwaukee leasing teams. She's one of Chicago's most respected corporate real estate executives for her market knowledge, brand management, and vision. Mariah Degrino. Mariah concentrates her law practice in the areas of real estate and real estate development as part of DLA Piper's Land Use Development and Government Relations team. Mariah's practice can best be described as where real estate intersects with government. We know that keeps you busy in the city of Chicago. (laughs) Her clients include real estate developers, corporate clients, retailers, music entertainment venues, lenders, and investors in connection with complex real estate development matters. Her work includes seeking land use approvals, pursuing and negotiating incentives, navigating a competitive site selection process, creating public-private partnerships, negotiating government contracts related to real estate development, defending against government enforcement actions and enforcing land use rights and entitlements. She has appeared before a variety of legislative and administrative bodies as well as circuit and appellate courts. Let's welcome our panel. So let's begin by hearing a little bit from each of you in your own words about uh, when you got in business and what attracted
2: you to the field or industry that you're in. I fell into it. It was not a goal. Uh, my goal was to go to law school and be a lawyer, uh, which I did, but I worked at Tishman Spire when I finished my undergrad through law school and after that was asked to help out in brokerage till I found a job. And then you put your head down and it's many, many years later, and uh, you're having a lot of fun. And so that's how I got into real estate. <laughs>
3: yeah. I, I probably had a similar start, although not uh, intentionally going into real estate even. Um, I, uh, my undergraduate degree is in music performance, and so I thought, well, I'll you know, swing, swing it as a musician for a, for a bit. And um, that lasted a short while. Teaching lessons, doing gigs, I realized I needed some stability. And my dad, who had always been whispering in my ear, you should go to law school. So uh, I did and uh, ended up at what was then uh, Piper Rudnick, now DLA Piper, as a summer associate, worked with uh, Ted Novak and the land use team there, got to know them, absolutely loved them and what they did. And uh, luckily, they liked me as well. So when I was done with law school, I went back and um, I've been a land
4: use uh, attorney ever since. Well, opposite to you, I looked for the opposite of stability. I was at an accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, at the time I started. It was nine months into my career, and the company collapsed, so I was looking for something new, and um, decided to leave the public accounting world because I kept looking around at my peers, and no matter how hard any of us worked, we all got the same raise within maybe a percent or two, so I decided I wanted to go someplace where hard work was recognized and I could kind of make my own way. So decided to make the jump to Smith Barney at the time and um, just have been there ever since through through all the the different firm variations, now Morgan Stanley.
5: My name is Maria and I, unlike uh, some of the ladies here, I did purposely seek out real estate, um, not because I knew what it was about I'm a uh, first-generation Mexican American, so quite frankly, I didn't know anybody in the corporate world. I didn't know what my finance degree was going to be able to let me do. Um, So my dad actually um, nudged me into real estate just because it's one of those um, asset classes that you can feel, touch, see, you know, and and that appealed to me. I'm like, okay, I'm like, you know, well, that that you know, means something to him. This makes sense. It's something. It's a tangible um, asset. So. I went into real estate and then quickly realized that it was a very male-dominated industry. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I was able to uh, secure an analyst position at a great company, um, Prudential Insurance, and um, they really set me on the right path. Um, they encouraged me to go back for my uh, my MBA, which I did, and it just— it, it, I can't say enough about uh, my start. And I, along the way, met a lot of great women who um, became role models uh, and mentors, you know, to me, even if informal mentors, because I really didn't have a basis. I was kind of like a fish out of water. I didn't really know. And I think that uh, today I was very happy to be invited on this panel because I think that there are a lot of women who are, you know, maybe similarly don't know what, their degrees can do, don't know what, how to pursue, or don't even know what's out there. So uh, I think it is important and happy to be here.
1: Based on what you're saying, I have a follow-up question. Um, And it relates to um, an article that was recently published in Fortune magazine. And it talked about how um, men in business help their friends, and it's very acceptable, it's very comfortable for them to do that, and the article juxtaposed the fact that women often are not comfortable asking for uh, business from their friends. And so you said you got into this male-dominated world, and you had some female help yep. and mentors along the way, but how, from your perspective, can women do a better job of helping each other?
5: Yeah, I. I have seen that um, throughout my career, and I think it's absolutely right on. Women do not seek, um, uh, you know, I think that they feel a little hesitant to ask their friends or women that they've established relationships with um, for business. So I think it is a very difficult thing. Um, I think it's difficult for me even and for other people. Um, I think that the... uh, role models that I saw because of course I gravitated to you know the women that I saw they were very strong women and I think for me it just um, was the start of an enlightening process to really see what can happen and I today I, you know I think that throughout my career I probably haven't done enough of it so it's kind of a renewed interest now to try to Uh, connect with women and um, help as a team Um, i run i lead a a team of all women Um, and they i purposely selected them not because they were women but because they brought something different to the table and we could all learn from one another so i think that's what how you connect with women is you bring you know even in this panel like i now know somebody and you know Law, a uh, profession. I've known Vicki for a long time. So, you know, I think that that's what you need to do. You need to get out there and you need to really start connecting with women of diverse backgrounds, um, you know, professions, uh, uh, diversity, uh, everything, economic, uh, everything.
2: So, that article was very interesting because I found it to be very like, eye opening. Clearly, I'm in a real estate services firm, and there are predominantly mostly men, male brokers. There are I have a lot of female staff, but they're not necessarily all in leadership roles, but yet I would tell you we have a lot of good leaders. What came across in that article was very interesting to me. Men look at their business relationships as transactions. You and I, what can I do for you? You can do for me. Women look at it for the friendship. How can I you know, connect with you. What can I know from you? What can I learn from you? And because we connect that way, we don't necessarily look at each other and say, so, okay, so now we're going to change the table and how do I do business with you? So I think it's a real different dynamic and I found that to be really telling for me.
3: I think there's also, though, a a tension inherent in that proposition, which is that um, women should start doing the same thing. Women should help other women out. But part of the, the, the criticism... Is that you know? Well, well, men are helping out men because they're men. Women should do the same. Well, women are kind of seeing that injustice. And again, maybe it's because I'm a lawyer and I see things from a justice perspective. <laughs> but there's a little bit of injustice inherent in it that women don't want to perpetuate. And so I think uh, I think there's it's, it's a combination of all of these factors. I think you're totally right. Women and I see that from my perspective and, and in my industry in the legal industry, women are more hesitant to. Um, expect that from their
4: from their female relationships, expecting a transaction out of
3: it.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, and I think that's... That, what it all comes back to for me is um, we talk a lot about how to connect with people, and whether it's a man or a woman or whatever, it doesn't matter, but I think it comes down to, for us, educating people and, and providing that education and building relationships that way. Regardless of who it is, and I think you can get a lot further than you know. Like you said, the transaction. You know, it's a it's a very different approach, and I think the big thing is is we we. What I always say we try. And I don't want to. I don't want to be a man. Like I'm not trying to be one of the boys, um, and I think that's okay. And I think it's important for women to find their way to do to to do those same things without doing the you know just doing the same way that the men have achieved it. So I think there's other ways, and I, and the way that we've found is is truly through education we've built really nice relationships that way that don't seem so transactional it's more we're working together and collaborating on something
1: so would you describe that as a way that you you know navigate in a male-dominated industry and and does anyone else have strategies or tools you've leveraged to navigate in your male-dominated industries
4: is that fair to say yeah I think so um, I think the the way that I've navigated our industry, because in the financial world, it's a lot of men in our business, too. Um, but I think, I guess I've always had the confidence to not view it as a challenge, really, um, that I just really treat the men in our office just like I would any other person. And so I think that's helped me navigate it a lot, is, and and we were talking about this, actually, my business partner's here, too, and we were talking about this in our morning meeting, that you know, I have built a lot of really nice relationships with other male teams in the office, and they come to me on a personal level for a lot of things because they just feel comfortable talking to me. And so that's how, the again, the relationship started. So it's it was my own way of, of navigating it through what I know, and that's nurturing people and helping them. Um, and so that's how I've kind of gotten along in, in our industry.
3: And I think the industry itself has has evolved and changed and the, the demographics are very different I mean I, I grew up in an industry that looks very different than the industry you grew up in mm-hmm. and so you know you're we both had to navigate things in different ways and I think you know my, my peer group is you know my male peers are you know they're they're dating and married to also strong successful women they have girls they've sort of you know had to reevaluate sort of uh, the traditional roles that we play and I
2: think that's that's been very beneficial. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things early in my career uh, I can point to, to say, I didn't think of myself as a woman. It didn't occur to me that, therefore, because I was a woman, I couldn't do why. It just naive. Who knows? I just did what helpful, I did. Helpful. Helpful naivete. <laughs> um, but the other side of it is is that, and I was talking to Lisa about this earlier, we keep our core values you know, if you keep your core values of who you are as a person, you're authentic in making mistakes as well as leading and doing things. that That's all you need, really. And I don't think it is a gender thing one way or the other if that's how you come to the table.
5: Now, I would agree with that. I think that um, our kids, I have uh, 14-year-old twins, a boy and a girl, and when I see... Them now. I don't think they really think of. I agree with you. I mean, I didn't think that. You know, here I'm in this room. Everybody is a male, and I'm like, I'm here. You know, I think it was intimidating for me. But I don't think that I thought, well, how am I going to do it differently, or how am I going to um, comport myself differently than the the, the men, the uh, my kids. And I think that the younger generation is a lot more um, colorblind. I think to uh, different different uh, to either nationality or sex or you know what have you i think that at some point along the way though these things do creep in Mm -hmm. um when they're eight nine ten fourteen you know i'm not exactly sure at what point that is but i do think that some of these things and insecurities start creeping in i've read that it's for women uh for girls it's puberty, you know, all of a sudden their self-esteem is a little bit different. You know, little girl, my little girl is a tomboy. She's like, oh, I'm going to climb higher than, you know, he is. You know, so they're, you know, they're competitive that way. But I've been reading that at some point that does start to subside. And, you know, women do kind of take a step back. And that is hurting us in business. Um, um, And and we have to figure out how to address that.
1: Well, that leads into another uh, article that was very interesting, uh, reported in the New York Times, which is that girls, on average, do more chores and make less money than their male siblings. And that male siblings also get, uh, get, get paid for doing things like showering. And, um, <laughs> and girls get paid for actual
2: housework. Um, <laughs> The um, there are stages in, in a boy's life that I totally get that. <laughs> However, uh, what I'd like to turn that um, comic
1: relief to is about uh, advocating uh, advocating for yourself when it comes to you know negotiating on behalf of yourself, your financial package, your salary, that type of thing. We talked a little bit about that, and um, and, it, and there's been a lot written and anecdotally that women do a you know they do a great job advocating on behalf of their clients but it's more difficult to advocate for themselves. And so I'd like to open the discussion up uh, for you to comment on that and uh, either you know, how you have overcome it or you think about it or maybe how you mentor your teams to, um, to do a better job of that on their own behalf.
3: I think that's very true. Uh, and, and personally for me, I, I, I will you know, go to the mat for a client for, you know, for a cause, but uh, if it's advocating for myself, you know, I, I am less, I have to, I, I, find my, I find myself, my authentic self is, I have to be dispassionate about it. And I identify the goal. And then for me, I, to meet, I have to come up with the argument, the reasons, sort of the dispassionate objective, reasons why I should get what I'm asking for. Um, so that's one strategy that I've, um, that, that I find works for me, but also finding those people who will advocate for you passionately. And so, I, and I have identified those, those people. Um, and so what it tends to happen, I'll make the case, I'll identify the objective, I'll make the objective argument, and then I have my, you know, my wingman, whatever, my, my guy or girl, so to speak, who then uh, buys into that and then is able to make that passionate case for it and sort of argue to the decision makers.
1: Excellent. So logical path, right? And support yes absolutely
5: anything to chime in I, I was just gonna say that um, the culture that you grow up in sometimes you know can be something that you need to um, get past uh, I see a lot of women here that are of diverse backgrounds something I didn't see by the way when I started in 1992 um, I remember you know going to meetings or going to luncheons like this and it was a sea of suits I mean it was very few women, and now it's so refreshing to see so many faces and different faces, but um, being, you know, coming from a, a Mexican background, I was taught to be modest. I was taught not to toot your horn, like that is not what you do, um, and hard work is going to be recognized and rewarded, but that's mm-hmm. not the reality. I mean, the reality is the managers are busy, they're doing so many things, they forget what you did two months from you know ago. Um, you need to remind them, and you do need to toot your own horn, and men are very good at doing that, and we have to get better. We absolutely have to get better. In in my industry in
4: particular, when I was trying to make the leap over to being a financial advisor, it was a scary leap because you go from this comfortable job and then you go to commission-based. And um, luckily, the gentleman who, um, who I interviewed with he said, it's really hard to recruit women into this, into this business. And I, I asked him why. And he said, women tend to, and this was his perspective, but women tend to be scared of failing. And so they look at it as if you make the leap and you go into this career path and you work and work and work and you don't succeed, it's a failure. And he said, well, when he talks to most men, even if they don't make it in that business, they look at it as a stepping stone to something else. And so he said women tend to want to stay with the stable and not go into a potentially more lucrative position just because of the, the potential or the fears that are there um, that are kind of ingrained in it.
3: But there's a safety net aspect to it. Correct. And you, you brought up a right. really cool, you should talk about this, because uh, at, at our ULI meeting. Um, about uh, which one. Barrier. Yeah, we redu- yes. <laughs> Positive. I have so many
2: things. So tell no, me, <laughs>
3: reducing the barrier—it's a barrier to entry. This not only ri- the the risk tolerance, but also the lack of a safety net. And and oh, you I see what you're I, saying. I can't, our can afford to fail,
2: right. right? So yeah. So yeah, one of our—he's um, our CIO, and he's an African American, and he wanted to get into brokerage, and he tells the story that I couldn't get into brokerage because, unlike m- my male counterparts didn't have a safety net. I couldn't live on commission. I couldn't take the risk. My parents couldn't afford to help me with why, and I had to get into a job that I had to have a salary and to do. And I think that's really true, and I think the brokerage community has to make a change in this, and I think we're making strides to do that. And I think women, particularly, are I agree on the side of failing, but we're not as much risk takers. We just, we weren't wired that way early on for whatever reason um, and so we're not risk takers in that regard and so girls that code like uh, mm-hmm. Rakesha I can't remember the the founder at any rate yeah, yeah. she she had there was a line that resonates with me, me that says we have to teach girls to be brave are your brothers were brave my brothers were brave you know so I I say this too. I grew up in a house with four brothers, uh, five cousins, all boys. I work in a male-dominated industry. I have ten nephews. I have two sons. If I don't get boys by now, I don't know what the heck I do. Uh, <laughs>
0: you found your voice early. You found your voice in the crib, right? <laughs> I don't know. So I was the oldest, so uh,
2: I, uh, for whatever reason, I just it just was there. So boys I get. Um, girls I sometimes have a harder time with, to tell you the truth, because I was never that girly girl. Couldn't be that girly girl. I get beat up for that girly girl in my house. <laughs> um, but anyway, do, learning to be brave and learning to... T- Take more risks, and you know, even this job. So here I am, fast forward 40 years in this business. I am, I leave Tishman Spire. Uh, this job presents itself amazingly. And my first reaction as I talked to my friends was, why do they want me? I mean, what I, I've never run a company like this, I've never had a PL like this and whatever. And my male friends all looked at me dead on, go, we would think about it, I'm 50% qualified, yeah, raise my hand. Women have to be 90% qualified in their own head to take that risk for whatever reason. We have to change how we think about it. We have to be more confident that we have a voice and that we actually have something to say. So I took this job and I would I regret it, not one minute. It is challenging, I love it. And it's been extremely rewarding in the two-plus years I've been there. So excellent. my 30 seconds. Standby. Excellent. All, all excellent points. <laughs> well,
1: um, so in that time, um, in that time, Vicki, you, you know, you've seen the industry change quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and society, too, right? We've seen more change in the, in the past couple of years in terms of women pulling on the, taking the leadership mantle. Um, what would you say has been like, the top one or two changes that have really helped move the needle to bring this, you know, to, to help women in, in business uh, secure positions of leadership?
2: Well, I just think for one, there's far more women in business, period. There's more opportunity. I mean, if I really think about it, I, and I walked in the door at Tishman Fire, I was probably one of, six women and mostly secretaries as compared to professionals and so that's changed i think that the and i also think that companies are trying i know it doesn't feel like it but um, at times but they are trying to have more of a diverse leadership because our clients demand the diverse leadership and so more ideas are are Welcome at the table, whereas before they were not so welcome. So uh, and I also think that there's a lot of just really talented women that are stepping up. There's no question. We're raising our hands. We're raising our voices. We're making a difference and being recognized for it. Hopefully, we're raising our daughters to raise Correct. our hands. I don't yes. have those daughters. I didn't get that girl. <laughs> our collective, our collective, collective I agree. daughters. But you know, there are you know I, there are. I have many women in my staff, and I try really hard to make sure that they know they have a voice with me. Not just the boys have a voice with me, and that I'm there to push them and push them forward too. If I had to say one thing was not good in what I did in my entire career, is I lacked the confidence for far too long that I was really good at what I did. And so it was my own head that I didn't have the confidence because the world said I did. And I just was like, oh, you know, and I'm still that girl. Candidly, you know, I got a compliment from my manager who is a woman, and she said, Vic, you rocked it out of the house. And I was like, no, no, no. She goes, stop that. (laughs) And she's right. Stop that. Be proud of what you've accomplished.
1: Excellent. Thank you for that. And you know what, that leads into the, you know, another uh, question that I had. And so Vicki, you kind of stepped into it and answered it, which was (laughs) awesome. Um, But I'd like to ask the rest of the panel. So um, knowing what you know today and having achieved the level of success success that you have, what would you say to your 25-year-old self?
3: Um, Be prouder. I mean, and be proud, be proud and out about it too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And toot your own horn. Uh, I think one of the most valuable exercises that I uh, went through to get, to make that evolution was um, in the path to becoming partner, you know, you have to put together your business plan, your business case, the, the all about, we call it the all about me memo. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, it was, it's hard to do that, but you've got to get out of yourself and, um, you know, be, Take take credit where take credit where you deserve credit, and take credit where you deserve where you share credit with other people too. But you know you still take credit for that too.
5: So, anything to add? No, I, I mean I I was just gonna say I agree with that. Uh, I was I was gonna say one more thing, um, kind of tail to what Vicky was saying. I think that today we have more women in. Um, In the position uh, to lead and pull other women. Um, So, you know, many times you see in a work environment, and I don't think that this is purposely done. I don't think that, um, I think there are a lot of great men that are uh, very focused on helping women, you know, succeed and, and move forward. But I think that sometimes without really thinking about it, you, you gravitate to certain people um, when the key uh, positions and jobs you know become available or the key assignments become available. And there's, there's this natural tendency to go to your favorite or somebody who has already succeeded before, and you don't give the opportunity to the women on your team to say, you know, I think you can do this. Um, I'll... Help, or I'll connect you with somebody else to kind of nurture you and and help move you forward. So I think that what I would say to my 25-year-old self is seek the help, too, if you need it. Um, And again, I was, uh, you know, in a way lucky because my first um, uh, job, very professional, and there were a great group of women who did that and said, Maria, you know, we've got um, um, early 90s, we had a lot of foreclosures, you know, coming through at at Prudential. And, you know, it was like, Maria, I know you're doing and focusing on this, but why don't you come to this meeting? You know, because I think that you'll learn some things just just from sitting in the meeting and, you know, just taking the time to do that for other women is how we're going to help propel ourselves forward. And I've already started seeing some of that. And I think that's how we're going to get to the next level. I think
4: I guess the way I kind of think about this, not necessarily what I would advice I would give my twenty five year old self, but what advice would I give my kids in as as they start to navigate business, they're they're little now, but um, but I think it always comes down to making good decisions and and thinking through your options and making those good decisions. because if I look back at my career path and um, you know look at others who, weren't able to get to the next level, I kind of think about some of the decisions that were made. You know, and I think back to when I was studying for the CFP or the CPA, and all my friends were like, come on, come on, let's go out, we're going out partying tonight, and it it was very tempting, because I didn't want to stay in and study, I didn't want to go to the library, Um, but I knew that if I made the right decisions and did the things leading up you know, to, to where I am now, that, that I would have a much easier path for myself. So I think that's why I try to beat into my kids' heads is um, make smart decisions. Um, clearly, they don't do that at this point, <laughs> but we're, we're hoping we get there. Um, Stacy,
1: you said something at our, um, at our pre-discussion that I definitely want to make sure we got on the table and that I'd like for each, each of you to um, talk about it. But we were talking about the moment when um, individually each of you thought, wow, I made
4: it. If you could share um, what you what you shared with us, and I told her I was going to say this today, and I made her cry. (laughs) But um, so um, I thought that was an interesting question that you brought up. So this, when we were talking about this, we had a luncheon and kind of thinking about um, you know when I felt like I made it. And um, we have, as as we had said, I have a an all female team, and we recently brought on a uh, younger woman. She is um, finishing up at DePaul. Um, very bright young woman, and she, she happens to be Muslim, not that that makes a difference, other than the fact that her father has a lot of influence over her. And he said, you are not going to stay at that financial firm. You are going to go to law school. That's, that's what you're going to do. And so they had this big discussion, because we had offered her the position. She's a phenomenal young woman, and we had offered her a position. And she said, Dad, if you met Stacy, you would just know. And that, to me, was the moment when I said, okay, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm creating this culture. I am creating a team that, and I'm being the leader that I wanted to be. And that, to me, felt like I'm, I'm where I need to be at this point. Thank you for
1: sharing that. Others, have a moment you want to share? Even if it's tooting your own horn.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the theme is cellist. Pablo uh, Casals, you know, when asked why at the age of, you know, in his 80s, why do you still practice five hours a day? Said, so, well, I think I'm, I'm seeing some improvement. And so I, it's hard for me to, to, say, you know, I've made it and I'm here, but because um, there's constant evolution and our, our industry is very dynamic. But for me, um, my, my moment, I guess, or my one of my recent moments was um, arguing before the Second District Appellate Court, which. As a real estate attorney, no, you don't, that does not happen. It barely happens if you're a litigator. But we uh, got involved in, a, in a, a case, a pro bono case that was land use case, so like right up my alley. We spent two and a half years on it, um, took it through ZBA. It was highly contentious. We were representing a homeless shelter and um, went down in a blaze of glory at after three days of the ZBA hearing, so Zoning Board of Appeals, um, which was not... Surprising, it's it's an appointed board, and so you know we the neighbors were very persuasive, uh, emotionally, and so uh, we uh, appealed the de- appealed that decision, and first went to circuit court and had you know two two probably eight hour sessions before the judge, arguing uh, before circuit court, and then we won at circuit at the circuit court level, which is gratifying, um, but we. Uh, the, the opponents then appealed and took the took the appeal to the Second District Appellate Court. And so again, many months of briefing, and finally we're back arguing. And and I'm, uh, you know, as a as a real estate attorney, I you know had a litig a litigator that partnered with me uh, on this, and he has a lot of appellate experience, and um, he's been a mentor throughout my career, and um, we've worked on cases together. Again, me bringing kind of land use and he litigation to it, and. So um, we're kind of preparing for this appellate court hearing, this, this argument, this oral argument, and which again, to even have oral argument is also rare. So, you know, any litigator would just jump at the opportunity. But this guy being a mentor and the, the person that he is, um, you know, we're we're preparing for this oral argument and kind of going over like what that would look like, and and I'm coming from it with the perspective that, well, of course he's gonna do it. and uh, quickly, you know, about 15 minutes into the conversation, realized he's coming at it with, you, of course, you're going to do it, me. And so and I, and in that moment, I was, I, you know, hesitated. I, I'm thinking, well, am I the best person for this? I'm not a litigator. This isn't what I do. Uh, in land use, obviously, I do a lot of arguing in front of people, in front of boards and decision makers, but never in front of an appellate court, you know, panel of judges. And so, you know, first thought to myself, am I the right person for this? And then thought to myself, like, this is good for me. I should do this. And and I can do this. So of course I should do this. So with that, with his support, of course, you know, it was critical and all of that. But that was kind of a, a me moment and 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 it helps that we we actually won too. So that <laughs> <laughs> you'd feel differently if we didn't, but but that, was that really that, brought it home for you. It did, and it was kind of one of those, like, I need to seize this moment, and I need to seize that opportunity, even though I feel like I'm not you know, 100% the person for the job. Right.
2: So.
1: Yeah. Anyone else before we i have? Uh, I hope there's some questions brewing out there, because we want to open it up to questions in just a minute. Um, before we move on, I guess I'll, I'll uh, close out with one more formal question to the panel, and then we'll turn it to you all. Um, but more broadly, you know we all deal with a lot of isms in this society, whether it's you know ageism, sexism, racism. And so uh, I would ask you, like what uh, you've talked a little bit about reaching out for folks with the right talent, um, but if you could comment a little bit more on, you know, for those of us who find ourselves in any of those isms, and I'm sure it, you know everyone in this room could could glom onto some ism that they connect with. Um, what's your advice for staying relevant in uh, in a really dynamic and changing world? I know you had a good one. Me? <laughs>
4: yeah. Oh, having a younger partner? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so I was a beneficiary of um, having a wonderful mentor who happened to be a female. And she was a trailblazer in our industry because so, she started, she just retired uh, less than a month ago. Um, and I think as I saw her, you know, get older and more mature in, in, her, in her own practice, I saw her get a lot more rigid in in her thought process. And I think having me as a younger partner allowed her to stay a little bit more relevant, a little more fresh. So I'm doing the same thing, I'm pick on Danelle. Danelle's out here too, she's younger <laughs> than I am and she's now um, my business partner. And she helps me stay connected to things like LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff that I, I, I don't understand. Um, and I'm not that old. I just don't. It's just not, it's not in my vocabulary, really. So the digital natives are, are here, but most of us aren't in that yeah. digital yeah. native category. So I just think having, having that young, fresh blood in, you know, in around you keeps you in tune with what's going on. And I think that helps in all aspects of business, for sure.
5: I was gonna say the same thing, you know, I think I learn, um, I think that you should try to learn from others as much as you give. So you know every one of my team members, I try to nurture and impart on them, you know the experiences that I've had. but I'm also taking from them. And I agree, getting the younger people uh, involved, even my kids, you know, I mean we're always learning from. Someone um, and even the older people, like you know, it just it's it's amazing, you know what you know. It's kind of a circle. It's a you know, life is a circle. So some things, you know, you, you resonate and, and you can relate to um, no matter what age.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, I think the other thing is is listening. I've gotten to be a much better listener the older I get. So that you can hear the the different perspectives and analyze them differently than you did when you were a younger person. So I think listening as well.
3: Yeah, I would say um, all of these things, but also being adaptive and adaptable, and kind of seeing. Uh, there's the saying, you know, don't play don't play where the puck is, play where the puck is going. So mm-hmm. figuring out what's changing, what what's emerging, and figure that out, and you know, make that your thing. Excellent, excellent. Well. Thank you all for these perspectives. I'll open it
1: up um, to questions uh, from you all before we before we close
0: out. Are there questions in the room? Thank you all so much. That was a wonderful panel. Um, I just have one quick question. As many of our clients and our own companies are starting to implement more um, diversity and inclusion programs, and it's been coming up more frequently, um, I know with my clients, and I'm sure with a lot of people here. Do you have any recommendations or things that you've seen within your own companies or maybe? outside of your own companies that have been successful um, for programs like this or any recommendations that you might have for companies that are starting to implement these programs?
3: So uh, one of the things we're seeing in the legal industry is from the the law firm side of it, the vendor side of it, is um, companies that are uh, demanding diversity on their legal panels. And so it's, it's, not, it's not okay to bring the token person of color or the token woman to the pitch. They see right through that. And what we're seeing companies do is start imposing um, metrics on participation and inclusion in their, in their files and their matters and holding back compensation. And so my advice to the, to the folks who are on the other side of the table is, Money talks in a law firm, <laughs> and if you're holding back your fees or compensation, that's at the end of the day, that's what they're going to
5: respond to. That will move the needle. It will, it does. <laughs> I agree with that, and I would add one more thing. Um, at BMO, we recently had a sit down with the CEO and the head of HR, um, and invited a group of people, um, just to have a very informal roundtable, whatever you say, you know, feel free to just, you know, speak up and, um, you know, and just be very candid. And I think that that was, uh, I could see a little eye opening to our CEO and our HR person, to be honest, because they feel like they have all these programs in place and therefore things should just be happening. But they're not happening and when you see different, you know, at the higher grade levels and you don't see the kind of mix that you're trying to, you know, that that you expect to see because you've had these programs in place for the past 10 years, you ask yourself, well, why is this not flowing through? What is happening? Um, And we did not hold back. I mean, there were, uh, we were very candid, we were very honest and it seemed that they were very receptive to that. Um, They also came away with some things like, oh, well, you know, I didn't you know realize that, and um, HR is also looking to do exactly what you said, the metrics in the right. review. you know you need to just talk about what what did you do to try to um, create a little bit more inclusion uh, and, and diverse you know what behavior did you do? You don't necessarily have to hire someone like you said, a token person. We don't want that. we don't want that. We want just to think about it, to stop, to pause. We want you to think about um, including other people who maybe don't have the same experience. Don't just give it to Joe because he's done three of these and you're confident he can get it done. How about giving it to Susie and saying, Susie, can you work with Joe? Why don't we make it a team thing so that tomorrow we have more people that are capable, not just Joe, because what if Joe leaves? then? Then what? Then you lost a very valuable resource? Let's make everybody valuable.
4: Well, and another thing we talked about at the lunch too was not making assumptions. Mm-hmm. Not making an assumption that, oh, well, she's too busy because she has three kids. So we're not gonna yeah, we're not gonna ask her to do the project. So I think the 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 more we can Get others to realize that um, that those assumptions are incorrect, mm-hmm. and not by fighting it necessarily, but by correcting it. And you know, I've had to do this at, at my firm. You know, you call. I, I gave this example. I call the help desk for something, and they, the person on the other end of the line, says, "Well, if you can put your advisor on the phone, I'd be happy to talk with him." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I am the advisor." You know, and so I just corrected them. You know, and let them know instead of either not saying something or you know jumping down a throat he needs to know that it's very, cap- it's very possible that a woman is the advisor. And so I think some of those assumptions, when those go away, I think we'll be all better off. Piggybacking on to
2: Maria, we had a CEO roundtable this week, too, uh, around diversity and inclusion. And we have all these memos about what we're doing, but the tactical implementation of it was never pushed down or how we should be thinking about it, or why. And it was kind of the aha moment that said, we all have so much on our plates already. Mm -hmm. What are the tactical things we should be thinking about, and how do we go from point A to point B? So same thing has to be, it is from the top down. Mm -hmm. I think everyone believes it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a magic sauce as to how to get there.
6: Okay, so I am an economic development professional and it's pretty male-dominated. And when I first got my position, the person who uh, was my mentor told me to do this one activity and I would get a heads up. And I said, ha, I'm not doing that. So I didn't. And I this one colleague that I worked with um, was a lot younger than me. And within a year, he had moved on and got this really great job. And I said, how did you do it? He said, I did this one thing. I said, ha, I'm not doing that. So then I was in line at a luncheon with this man and he said that his daughter is doing really, really well and she did this one activity in college as a sport. And um, now she is just, she was in a male dominated profession and she just zoomed on. And he said, you should really do this. And I said, ha. I still say, ha, because I just don't want to, but it's golf, (laughs) because that's where all the deals are made. And we get left out. And so I have my boss at my other job who was always leaving at two o'clock and he was playing golf. He wouldn't leave me out if I could play golf and didn't say ha. (laughs) <laughs> then maybe I wouldn't be left out. So I do want to say that you can have your golf outings, but you might want to do something that's inclusive for women to show them how to do it and even want to do it. Because I said, ha, because I was insecure. But you know, maybe I need to just go one day, but I don't want to go with a whole bunch of men and you know just sit there and stand there and look silly. But I bet you I could cut a lot more deals. So that's my wisdom of the day. Play golf. <laughs> <laughs> to drive the golf cart really yeah. well. And so then. here's the other Except thing. So I, go- I, <laughs> I come from a golfing family.
2: So, you know, 80 was a bad day in my family. So I assumed that was the kind of golf you had to play. That is not the kind of golf you have to play. And at 19, I was invited to a, a dinner and, or a golf outing and a dinner. And I said, oh, no, I can't go because I can't golf because that's the kind of golf I think I have to play. So now I'm sitting at the table and I say to all these people men, so how'd you do? I said, so what'd you shoot? This one goes 110. This one goes 105. <laughs> and the naivety... I can play that kind of golf. (laughs) They were so insulted. I was like, well, and I tell them the story. My house is 80. So here's how I play golf. Uh, Lisa is very serious about it. She knows how to play. I love playing with Lisa. I love playing with a lot of guys as well. I hit the ball. If I don't like it, I pick it up and move it to the next place. I'm going, what do you mean you're not keeping score? I said, I don't care. I'm here because I want to spend the day with you and because I want to be out here in the sunshine with everyone else. That's the kind of golf I play, and it gets a lot of deals done. Strategy
0: of the day. <laughs> that was the answer to one of our questions. What strategy for navigating in a male dominated business? A question as I'm walking over to one of the other questions. So, two of you have been very open about I run an all female team. And I've heard you say, it's not that you won't hire a man, but men, maybe they're not attracted to working on an all-female team, but you semi-advertise that you're an all-female team. If a man advertised that he was an all-male team, that could be seen as discrimination. So how would you react to someone who says, you're advertising you're an all-female team. Do you think that's reverse discrimination?
4: I mean, and, and quite honestly, um, but the only I think the only difference to that is because we've had management tell us that you know you're you're kind of doing the reverse and you are not you are not a diverse team because you're all female. Um, but I guess I would argue, especially for what we do, um, a lot of women come to us because they're comfortable talking to other women. And so if we can create a niche where we are creating a comfortable environment, then I guess I, I don't care if we're reverse discriminating in this case because we're helping people. Um, so often we do, we do educational events six or eight times a year for women, and um, a lot of the feedback we get is we come here because we feel like we can ask the questions and we're gonna get good answers and I'm not gonna be embarrassed to ask those questions. And so we, we do like being an all-female team because of that, because we, I think we offer up something different but um but yeah if if there was the right man that came along and he was strong enough to to deal with the the five women on our team, then we would entertain it
5: yeah. and I brought up the all uh, women team, um, not because i 've ever really thought of or brought that up before, quite frankly, here you know, at <laughs> women you know that's that 's what actually i 'm like, you know what might you know she mentioned that I was like, you know I have a, an all women team as well, and it was kind of by accident, one of the gentlemen that was reporting to me decided he was going to early retire, and you know he left, uh, had to replace. Now, the women on my team all come from very diverse backgrounds professionally, so I've got a lawyer and an architect and, um, you know, a, a corporate guru, you know, a relationship person who knows everybody, and that's what I needed, so I really looked at the skill sets, and it just happened to be an all-women team, um, but we report to a man, and he brings a different perspective to our team, so, you know, we are all kind of working together, so it's a very collaborative type of uh, team, including our manager. And we don't really feel like it's different. We just feel like it's better.
7: But there we go. Um, my question is actually for Stacy. Did the young woman accept the offer? Yes.
4: <laughs> yes.
0: She being well, she's, school. Starting
4: full, she's starting full time with us um, in, what, two weeks? And um, yeah, so it just, it makes us feel really good that she was willing to stand up for what she wanted to do, um, especially with a a very strong father and come on with us. And she's super excited to be part of the team, so.
5: Very brave.
6: Yes, yes. What advice, what advice would you give this room of women about their tone as they promote
0: themselves? We can't hear you. whereas the
6: man is characterized as confident in what
0: he does. So what advice
6: would you give this room uh, relative to tone? Calm. Yeah.
2: Be, uh, you said something that was important. Be organized. Write down your notes. I mean, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with having your notes and making sure you make your points. Um, calm, organized, organized, and authentic. Don't you're not a bitchy person normally. Don't come off as being bitchy when you're sitting down to have that conversation. So be authentic. So I was recently. Uh, I've been one
3: of the deals I'm working on is very. Um, it's been a hard deal, and we've been negotiating hard with the other side, and they've been engaging in uh, some behavior and negotiation tactics that are what we would qualify probably as less, a little bit less than good faith. And so, and we've got a, a big team on our side, including some consultants and other co-counsel that we haven't worked with before. And so I, and I'm kind of leading this negotiation. And we walked away from a meeting recently where we had learned, uh, we'd been advised by our, th- the guys across the table that uh, some facts had changed. And um, again, it was sort of evidence. It was, it was the cherry on the sundae of this just hard negotiation where they really aren't acting in good faith. And um, and we just kind of absorbed the information. We very calmly and coolly informed the other side of the consequences to us of this information, and um, just kind of we're were very matter-of-fact about it. And so we walked away from the meeting and had a debriefing call with the team, and, and co-counsel, who's um, not, not from Chicago and, and again, new to, new to me at least, they uh, remarked that, you know, gosh, um, no, no one pounded their fists on the table. No one screamed and yelled and um, kind of surprised. And, and I said, well, um, what good would it do? These guys, you know, I genuinely, genuinely believe that the, the, the lack of good faith is not malicious on their part or even intentional. It's representative more of a, a lack of competence than anything. And so I said, well, that's, what good would it do? Um, and, and that's just not my style. So I think the authenticity, um, you know, I've I've tended to adopt sort of a calm, cool demeanor, and I'm kind of known for that. That's part of now my brand. (laughs) Our group is to um, sort of take that calm, cool approach. Um, Very rational, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's that's, uh, served me at least.
1: I would like to comment, though, on the uh, question that you asked, because um, in getting ready for this, We've all done a little bit of reading and research, and there is um, a dialogue right now uh, in the ether about the lexicon for women, which is what you're talking about. Whereas a man is described one way, and the and the same characteristics in a woman are not described that way. Or, you know, if you say, you know what, you should really do business with my buddy. He's a great guy. Well, you should really do business with my woman friend because she's a good woman. Like, it doesn't have the same. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't mean the same thing. Um, and so, um, what I, so I think the power of language, there's been a lot about, written about this, about the power of language and how we have to reframe our own language. And so uh, I think it would be great if we all challenged ourselves to kind of get rid of this, like, let's get the guys together, or we got our guys with their guys, even when it's a mixed company, um, and even when it is all guys, literally, but to, ch- to reframe that in our minds so that we're just saying, team. We got our team together with their team even it doesn't matter if it's a if it's a gender mixed team or a gender uh, same team, uh, just reframing that language, I think, um, could help, in my opinion,
0: based yeah. on what I've read, move the needle. So maybe one last question. Oh, right there, perfect.
7: Thank you, and thank you all for being here. I think it's just refreshing because we tend to start thinking in different ways. Oh, so sorry. Um, to whoever wanted to play golf, that's, I think, how best ball golf was was born because it isn't about your independent score. Right. It's about how collectively you come together. And I think for me, in terms of raising young women, it, it does set the tone for why sometimes we don't think that we can do certain things, and it goes back to education. So the idea of you're never supposed to struggle was very evident to us in high school where we had teachers trying to protect kids from struggling. And my comment was... Why, why can't they struggle and fall down and get up and continue to move on and in some of the things you talked about, I hear that reoccurring theme is that how how critical fear and overcoming fear is in in accomplishing anything really whether it's it's a medical issue, whether it's education whether it's career so thank you for being inspiring Thank well, to you
4: to that point um, like with um, that made yeah. me think about something with um how this starts at a young age, even though it's not malicious, it's not somebody doing something with intent, but just how kids are raised differently. And um, you know, and I have a wonderful husband, and he's a great father. He's actually on a field trip with them to, with the kids today. <laughs> but even we were we were talking about our son, and so our girls are older, and we have a younger son, and how he treats them a little bit differently. And he said to me, "I want him to be tough." And I said, "Well, don't you want our girls to be tough?" And he kind of looked at me like,
6: huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he
7: didn't
4: know how to respond. Because on one hand, yes, he does, but he thinks of it differently when it comes right. to our son. And I think the more there are strong women who teach right. their husbands and teach others that um, you know, we need tough women, too. We need strong women. Um, I, I think that, we'll start that, that gender inequality that starts at such a young age will start to hopefully go away a little bit. And I can
2: tell you that the mistakes we make are the best teachers, realistically. You won't make that mistake again and you'll have learned something from it. So you can't be afraid to make a mistake. And, that, and that's kind of how I lead my team. I allow them to make mistakes, but I'm not going to allow them to go so far over the ledge that they're going to fall over the edge. It's like, whoa, 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 come back. And it's it's a concept of I've got your back and it's okay to take a, bit, a little bit of risk.
3: It's and that, that support system is critical to giving people the freedom to take those risks right. and knowing that they're, they're going to be nurtured and not protected from the consequences of the no. risk, but that it's, it's a supportive environment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I see, um, and that's, that's where, again, it has to be from the top down. It has to be a cultural thing ingrained in the culture because you need leaders. You need people who are experienced to play that role.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much to Renee, Vicki, Mariah, Stacey, and Maria. I appreciate your wisdom, appreciate your thoughts, your personal stories, and thank you very much. And see you hopefully at the next event, and definitely see you next year in March.